Hey, Christy. Uh, hey, sweetheart. Let's get recording. Well, I had something to talk to you Time's about. Time's a-wasting. Inanimate objects in our house are talking to me. No. That must be your imagination. Look, I know it sounds like I'm making it up, but I swear. I don't think so, Chris. The oven told me it was hungry for pizza, and it heated up to 500 degrees. Uh, no, I uh, just left it on. The mixer told me I should stop making cookies because we're eating too many carbs. Rude of it, frankly. Uh, that's also not real. The toilet heckled me. Okay, I have a confession. I knew it. What's that supposed to mean? You've just had a habit recently of being, I don't know, weird thing adjacent, dear. <laughs> so, I uh made just a tiny little deal with the demon or something, and now their forces are invading the earth. They're actually just our house uh, inhabiting our stuff. They're not going to do any harm. They're just here to be earth tourists. <sighs> what was the deal for? Well... I forgot to bring my lunch on Thursday, and... Oh, no. Well, and you know how hard it is to teach on an empty stomach. Oh, no. So I made a deal for a Cuban sandwich. Christy! It was really good. Well, how are we going to deal with this? The deal was just for the next couple of days, then they'll be gone before you know it. Okay, well, as long as we can record today. Not so fast, Chrissy! Ah! Oh, great, it's the microphone. I'm your microphone, and I'm frankly offended. You don't even use a pop filter on me. Well, uh, microphone, we have one, but we record bi-directionally, and we don't have two. Well, until you use a gosh darn pop filter, it's off the air. What if we used a sock? A sock? What do you think I am? I have... Fun, clean character socks. Fun sock, you say? Okay. Okay, you win, Chris's. But I claim the right to offer my opinion on your comic. Fine. Excellent. All right. I'm turning on. This is pretty weird, even for us. Well, Christy, microphone, are you ready to talk about comics? Yes! I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to the second part of three of our Inferno coverage. We are to the gooey center of this crossover. I always love the gooey center. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> You know, when we have those three-parters and you get that gooey center episode, we've it's, already talked about it a little bit. We're not quite getting to the conclusion. It's, it's real It's real meaty, it but is. also real real gooey. Like, you could go either way with this metaphor. So, to keep the sandwich metaphor up, it's like a Reuben. You know, the center's kind of gooey and meaty of a Reuben sandwich. Mmm. Mm. Unlike a Cuban, which is, is just real meaty. Yep. It's, just, it's got some fun <laughs> mustard. I do love that with the, the, the conceit of a Cuban sandwich was, like, we need multiple ham products. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> who doesn't? I guess aside from people that are keeping kosher, I will take the sandwich. For, I will take it from you. Christy will make the sacrifice to eat her favorite kind of sandwich. <laughs> so our first episode, we covered all of the... New Mutants issues. Right. With the, with the side, the side project of, of exterminators. Mm hmm. But now we are getting into the, the real, uh, I keep wanting to say meat. So sure. Meat of this, which is the uncanny yeah. and X factor stuff, which very directly crosses over. Mm -hmm. And this could not really be separated out into titles. Right. So instead of having an uncanny episode and an X Factor episode, we 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 got we got a little of both in these last two. Yeah, because they are they're inexorably linked. What are other things we like that are inexorably linked? Mm. Us. Ah. Uh, I was gonna say like a really good soup. <laughs> <laughs> also works. Things you put in a blender, like a milkshake. 
Once you make a milkshake, you can't really get the milk and ice cream back No, out. no, you cannot. That is the subject of a children's show that one of our children really enjoyed. <laughs> it's weird, though, because when they that came out, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's right. Like, you can't, can you? Yeah. And it's just not something you think about. And you can't untoast the toast? You cannot untoast the toast. You also, once an egg, once an egg's cooked, you can't, you can't get it back. Mm-hmm. That egg's cooked, baby. Some, some things are irreversible change. Well, some things are reversible. It's, it's important. Like a fun jacket. Reversible. Ooh. Why don't I have a reversible jacket? I don't know. I used to have a reversible beanie that was a Transformers beanie and it had Autobots on one side and Decepticons on the other. Did you ever have that while I knew you? I don't think so. I think I lost it. <gasps> it came free when I bought the 2007 Transformers DVD. <laughs> you got a free beanie with the DVD? Yeah, from Hastings. Oh, that's fun. It was fun. I didn't. I wasn't counting on it. They're like, you get a beanie, I guess. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> Readers, help me track down this beanie. I don't. I do not think it's here anymore. Like no, I mean like, like you want to purchase it. We could purchase you another Transformers beanie. Oh, I don't think I look very good in beanies, Christy. Well, I don't know, do I? You don't own any. <laughs> I don't. I also <laughs> used to have a beanie that was Meatwad from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Like, yeah, we don't need that. Meatwad, <laughs> <laughs> barrel of compressed meat. <laughs> Why do you have to be good at that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm upsettingly good at the Meatwad voice. It's like that, the Gollum voice, like just just characters that you do not want talking to you. <laughs> I like the Kermit one. Yeah, Meatwad, Kermit, Gollum, occasionally Christopher Walken. I feel like I need like two drinks to be really good at Christopher Walken. <laughs> two drinks to think you're really good at Christopher Walken. <laughs> I just think Christopher Walken has like a drink before he speaks. It's fine. Always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, we should probably get into this before people forget that we're a comics podcast. Yep, yep. You may have already tuned out by now. But if not, get prepared. Buckle up for the summary. Uncanny X-Men, number 239 to 241. Written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Mark Silvestri, inked by Dan Green, colored by Glynis Oliver, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, Edited by Bob Harris, Daryl Edelman, and Mark Grunewald. 239. As the demonic forces we saw in New Mutants start to take over Manhattan, Mr. Sinister hangs out in his lair pondering the rise of mutant kind. Malice, who is currently possessing Polaris, comics, is ticked. She's too compatible with Polaris and can't leave her to possess someone else. She blames Sinister since he convinced her to possess Polaris in the first place. That being said, he sweet-talks her about making her stronger and how she's irreplaceable and uh, she totally goes for it. In Australia, where the X-Men are currently, Dazzler and Longshot walk into a bar and Dazzler gives an incredible vocal performance, complete with light show. Havoc is going for a run where he feels guilty for his girlfriend Lorna being possessed by Malice and also feels guilty for killing some brood. Poor Havoc. Madeline Pryor finds him and offers him some comfort and a whole bunch of flirting. Storm finds out that Jean Grey is alive via some recorded footage she's researching, and she is mega mad at Wolverine, like throwing him around the sky mad. Logan kind of knew Jean was alive, but frankly didn't believe it himself. Colossus, Rogue, and Psylocke are training in a cave, and while Betsy puts up a good fight, Rogue and Colossus best her. Rogue threatens to yank off Betsy's armor, and the telepath mind whammies her, leaving the persona of Carol Danvers to take over for a bit. And because this is a Chris Claremont, Mark Silvestri comic, Psylocke goes for a swim. Carol and Rogue's body manages to touch Psylocke's shoulders and doesn't absorb her power. Very interesting. Maddie finds Alex sunbathing again, and they bond over having lost their loves and spend the night together. Sinister watches baby Nathan Christopher, Scott and Maddie's baby that he kidnapped, saying that he would finally win with the help of this baby. Interesting. And as Alex sleeps, Maddie uses a view screen to call Nastier. She has also made a deal with him and demands the Marauders found because she wants her baby. Number 240, Maddie and Alex have a romantic date in Manhattan, teleportation courtesy of Gateway. While they seem oblivious, okay, it's really just havoc, 
to the transforming city, some Ghostbuster types investigate the restaurant for paranormal activity. These nerds are kicked out by the Mater D, and unbeknownst to Alex, the elevator eats them. The couple are transported back to Australia, but before Alex can spend too much more time with Maddie, she is teleported away again by Gateway. Strange. Alex thinks he can find a way to help Maddie, though, and rushes back to their base. Maddie has teleported to Bard College at the grave of Jean Grey. In a rage, she destroys the gravestone and turns Jean's parents, who happen to be visiting the gravesite, into demons. Not cool, Maddie. Nastier shows up, and Maddie demands to know if he's found her baby. He says he has a lead, and off they go. Rogue and Longshot are going rollerblading before being interrupted by Dazzler, who is peeved that Rogue is flirting with her boyfriend. They get into a fight, which accidentally causes Rogue to crash into the room where Colossus is painting Betsy. Longshot is awfully ticked about this, but wild hijinks! Havoc finds out that Maddie has tinkered with their surveillance system, and with it, he finds the Marauders. It's time for payback. Nastir has taken Maddie to a familiar, to X-Men readers at least, orphanage, where Maddie finds a strange tube with her name on it. The Marauders are getting settled in in the Morlocks' former home. You know, the people they killed? Gross. Anyway, the X-Men arrive, and clearly they've gotten the jump on the Marauders. Everything is good until Malice slash Polaris grabs Colossus and flings him upward into the streets above. The Marauders try to flee with the X-Men giving chase, and then they finally all notice how demonic Manhattan seems. And back at the orphanage, Mr. Sinister makes his appearance, telling Madeline she can call him Father. Number 241. Maddie angrily sends her demons to attack Sinister, but he quickly dispatches them and binds her with cables. Back to the fight, where X-Men and Marauders are still tussling. Complete mayhem erupts as the landscape turns demonic, with cop cars turning into evil creatures. The X-Men are winning, but seem consumed by bloodlust. Sinister demands that Maddie tell him of a single memory, and she talks about the death of her friend Annie Richardson and the awakening of her psychic powers. Sinister tells her, no, these are Jean Grey's memories, and that Maddie is a clone of Jean Grey, because he couldn't secure Jean for his orphanage as a child. Her powers awoke seemingly when Jean became the phoenix. Back in the fight... And a mailbox eats a man, trapping him in a postage stamp, because sure, why not? Some of Cameron Hodge's The Right Soldiers appear as well, also turned demonic. After Colossus grabs one, he tells him about all the stuff happening in the New Mutants issues, and Colossus goes to join that part of the crossover. Sinister explains that he wanted to join the Grey and Summer's bloodlines to create some special baby, and Maddie is not super happy about this. She's even less happy about Sinister's plan to have her killed and her baby stolen, which is why baby Nathan Christopher is missing as part of the story. The X-Men defeat the Marauders, but they're all very evil-seeming, almost as if the demonic forces are affecting them. Sinister thought Maddie died back in Dallas with the rest of the X-Men where they fought an otherworldly creature called the Adversary, but upon discovering her, now wants to investigate her. She breaks free, and the now techno-organic Nastier appears with baby Nathan Christopher. She says that since the existence of the baby is Sinister's fault, she will destroy him and give herself over to the fires of Inferno. X-Factor number 36 and 37 Written by Louise Simonson, penciled by Walter Simonson, inked by Bob Waycheck, colored by Petra Scotis, lettered by Joe Rosen, edited by Bob Harris and Mark Grunewald. Number 36. Beast and Iceman fight off demonic inanimate objects in New York. Looked on by reporter and occasional love interest of Hank McCoy, Trish Tilby. She's been taken aback by Hank recently turning blue, but their chat about that fact is interrupted by her reporting team being eaten by a subway. Nastier villain monologues in his weird cemetery as he awaits the demons returning with babies, including baby Nathan Christopher. He magic Zoom calls Archangel, who is mourning the death of his girlfriend Candy Southern. Nastier tells Warren that he demonically gave bad guy Cameron Hodge immortality. Archangel heads to New York looking for vengeance against Nastier. Jean and Cyclops, who have been tracking baby Nathan, arrive in New York only to be attacked by a demonic airplane. An optic blast beats it, and they head to land. Iceman and Beast rescue everyone from the demonic subway, which Iceman ices up as it crosses the Manhattan Bridge. He also explains to Trish that Beast is a good dude. 
Debatable. Iceman evacuates everyone via ice slide, but Trish stays behind, tossing a live wire at the subway and causing it to explode as she is snagged from danger by Beast. After separately seeing Nastir's pentagram in the sky, X-Factor reunites, fights off a horde of demons, and vows to find baby Nathan. Issue number 37. X-Factor chews through the demon hordes of Nestir before the techno-organic demon himself appears with baby Nathan Christopher to taunt them. Before they can retrieve the baby, though, Maddie appears. So Cyclops thought that Madeline had died with the rest of the X-Men and is kind of shocked to see her. She angrily taunts him and Jean tries to telepathically soothe baby Nathan Christopher. This only makes Madeline even madder. She kind of has a point, though, as Scott abandoned them when Jean was found alive. Madeline shoots a beam of energy at Jean, only for it to be blocked by Nestir, who is concerned that Maddie will kill baby Nathan, who he needs for his plans to open a permanent portal to Limbo. He tries to remind Madeline where her power came from, but she tells him that she's no longer his puppet and blasts him away. X-Factor continues to battle Madeline's demons as she taunts Jean and pretends to drop the baby in order to bait her. She realizes Scott loves Nathan Christopher more than anything and will even destroy him to get back at Scott. They attempt a big charge, but Maddie easily fends off X-Factor. But when the dust clears, she appears in her normal guise, asking Scott why he's trying to take her baby away. And a familiar clawed hand grabs Jean's shoulder to confirm she's real. So, the gooey slash meaty center. Yeah. So we have, there are no new mutants in this. We're done with them. They're gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not, they're not like. They're gone. They're never coming back. We will never have another story with those new mm-hmm. mutants in it. Nope. All done. Finished. Okay. A baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No new mutants. But we get kind of both teams in each issue. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit of both. So there's like a lot of status quo stuff that I feel like we need to kind of get out of the way right off the bat. Okay. The X-Men live in Australia now. Yeah, that was, that was, I knew that that was a thing that had happened in continuity and it took me a little while. It took me until Gateway to realize, oh, oh, they're not. Okay. Yep. Uh, this is the, the last crossover that we covered that would be relevant to this one would be the Mutant Massacre. Mm hmm. Which, I remember and recall that, and they were they were not in Australia then. They were not. They are. They've been in Australia after they fought the adversary, who is a supernatural, who is a supernatural figure. They had to fight him with Forge, but anyway, they they ended up they ended up in the outback, and no one can see them on camera right now as a result of this whole deal. Okay, and so, so we don't is, know why. It, well, it, it's not super relevant to the story. Mm-hmm. Madeline is also kind of part of them at this point, which is why Scott thinks she's dead, because the X-Men supposedly all died in Texas. Right. Did anybody ever just call anybody? No. And that's like that's like a running thing. It's like, why, <laughs> why didn't anybody just contact somebody? Well, that's an awful long way to call collect. <laughs> they didn't even have cell phones. <laughs> and Longshot is part of the team. He is not a, not a, he's not a mutant per se. He's kind of, a, I guess he's a mutant. He's from Mojo World. Okay. He has luck powers. Yes, I gathered that. Okay. And he's just like a he's just having a good time. Longshot, he's having a lot of fun. Longshot's just here for good times. And he and he and Dazzler are dating. Yeah. Ish. Kinda. Yeah. Yeah. Shatterstar is like theoretically their kid, I think. Oh yes. This is I, w- I was recently discussing Allison Blair's miscarriage that wasn't really a miscarriage. It was retconned out of being a miscarriage into Shatterstar's existence. Not, not loving that, but, uh, this is that, that's kind of their deal. Uh huh. Who else is? Madeline Pryor is Scott's, was Scott's wife for a bit. And then when he found out that Jean Grey was alive. Yes. Because she never actually died on the moon. As the Dark Phoenix. Uh huh. She the, was. She was in. She's the, in a pod. At the bottom of. Jamaica I can't Bay. remember. Yeah, couldn't remember what body of water. <laughs> Which, I'm dumb. I didn't realize Jamaica Bay is not in Jamaica. Jamaica Bay is in New York City. I knew that. I did not know that. I knew that. And so for the longest time, I was like, "How did the Fantastic Four just find her in Jamaica? <laughs> <laughs> what were they doing there?" 
Well, anyway, yeah, she, they found her in a pod in New York, and she was like, I don't remember being the Phoenix at all. I don't remember killing any broccoli people. I did nothing wrong. And we're like, sweet. <laughs> Just what we always wanted. Mm-hmm. But as, you know, he found out that, that Jean was alive and was like, well, this whole married thing has been fun. Right, but, right. And that's like... I remember reading the early X Factor, and I was just like, oh my gosh, Chris, you like Cyclops? He's real bad. Despite, He's not good. Despite this, I like Cyclops. <laughs> uh, I think this was a, I think this was a real character assassination moment for him. It was like they, sometimes they try to really move mountains for editorial purposes. X Factor, they're like, we want the original five X-Men back. Mm-hmm. And we, we'll do it any way we can. And they're like, well, Scott's married. And he's like a kid and he's not even on the X-Men anymore. And they're like, whatever, you know, whatever it takes. <laughs> they even did a weird thing so that Beast wouldn't be blue for a while. Like at the beginning of X-Factor, uh-huh. he's, he's just like a big, big guy again, which right. is what he was at the Stan and Jack stuff. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they're like, let's just turn him blue again. Can we just. Right. Because th- that's interesting. I think the beginning of X-Factor is a real example of how regressive storytelling is just like so frustrating. Like, relying upon, like, nostalgia and, like, oh, remember when this thing... Like, no one in the 80s was like, let's be nostalgic for the Stan and Jack era of X-Men. I'm sure somebody was. Mm -hmm. Because there's always people, right? Like, I'm sure there's people who are nostalgic for, like, some really bad 2000s comics, but they're wrong. I mean, aren't people pretty nostalgic for, like, like this era of X-Men? Yeah, but this is good. The Stan and Jack X-Men's back. Oh, okay. So it's okay to be nostalgic for uh, stuff as think, long as it's good. I think it... Okay, so here's the deal. I think Inferno is a great story. Mm-hmm. I, it's one of my favorite X-Men crossovers. And mm-hmm. I, it's a really good culmination of a lot of stories. We don't need to tell it again. Mm-hmm. We don't need to have another Gene versus Madeline thing, probably. Like, I don't think that's necessary. Okay. Yeah. And so I think if they tried to do it, like another like Inferno riff, they did Inferno 2, I would just roll my eyes out of my head. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I mean, there, but there's... that's what X Factor was. It was X Men Volume One, Stan Jack Part Two. Like, hey, remember when we when when the book actually sold well because we introduced all those new and interesting characters like Nightcrawler and Storm and Wolverine? What if we tried to to not do that? <laughs> like the reason why X Men the like X Men sold well in this era was it was like ever changing and it was interesting and the lineups were changing. And there was like this really cool long running story, and I feel like the whole and it was X-Factor, a soap opera. It was a, it was the soap opera. Yes. Well, we can't say X Factor is not a soap opera. It might be even more <laughs> of a soap opera. But I don't. I think Louise Simonson kind of made it a soap opera. I don't know if Bob, if um, was it Bob Harris who was writing? I don't remember. I don't recall. But Louise came on pretty early like, on. Like six? it was like set up, and then it was like here you go. Yeah, it was a it was a mess in the beginning. She didn't have much to work with. Mm-hmm. But um, we also have Warren as death, so they've already kind of had a tiff with Apocalypse at this point. Yes, but he's I not get, in the story. No, Apocalypse is not. No, Mm-mm. I don't think we know this at this point. But this whole deal is that Mister Sinister wants to make a super baby. Like he's a eugenics guy. I feel like he kind of said that. Yeah, he wants to make a super baby. Yeah, and he thinks that the the summer summer's gray. That's where you get a super baby. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's revealed at this point, but he wants Super Baby to kill Apocalypse. I I knew that was a thing. Yes. Yeah. This is also like, this baby is not Cable yet. Like, it is, the Cable thing is a retcon that takes place like years later. Right mm-hmm. now, he's just a little baby. Mm-hmm. But is this, I, I mean, I know we're not there yet. I'm just feeling like, oh, this is going to be where he gets the transmode virus. No, it's not for a while. What? I don't, I think that's not for a while. Okay. I mean, that makes, I, it's maybe just, it, maybe it isn't. This just seems like the time that he would get it when he's with a whole bunch of demons that have it. I don't know. I mean, uh, I... You might be right. No, I don't remember. But we'll find out at the end of this. this yeah, we will. <laughs> yeah, we will. <laughs> the readers are screaming at us. They're like, this is where he gets it, or this is where he not gets it. See, I, I'm just really happy that I have cultivated this, this expectation that... I don't know these things. So nobody's yelling at me. They're, no, they're yelling, yelling at, at me. you. Yelling at me, yeah. <laughs> Do you like that he's baby Nathan Christopher? Like that's his whole first name. And that's a choice yep. that they they made. So I I have the name Christopher. Yes. It's a really long it's name. It's a really long it was rough you, time in kindergarten for, for, for little you. Christopher. Yeah, I tried to I tried to write Chris E instead of Christopher Edelman, my full name. Mm-hmm. And my teacher would get mad at me. 
she would be like, you are not Chris E. And I'm like, please. <laughs> please let me be Chris. <laughs> Christopher is such a long name. And you had Nathan? Nathan Christopher? Nathan Christopher, where are you, baby Nathan Christopher? See, it's just so long. I don't know. The more you say it, the more it grows on me. You like Nathan Christopher? Should we even name to baby Nathan Christopher? No, like maybe like a dog. So here- <laughs> <laughs> Come here, Nathan Christopher. Come here. See, but his name is eventually Nathan Christopher Charles Dayspring- Ascani Sun Summers. Yes, I've heard I've heard the whole name before. I, I could maybe almost say it. That's too long. Oh. But this is these issues in this time are it's interesting to read. Uh the I feel like I have heard a lot about the Goblin Queen and just a lot is a lot is out there. A lot of inputs. A lot of friends that have opinions about the Goblin Queen, mm-hmm. and it's a wild name. Like reading the current era of X Men and really being able to appreciate that some of the stuff that we saw with Maddie and Alex through like a little bit of this lens. I was like, ah, I, you know, I understand that, that there there's history there, and I haven't read it, and now I've read it, and it. it it feels more poignant now. There's even more history. I mean, we're, we're, we're I know this is a small slice of it. It's the, it's the nature of the podcast, right? We kind of we kind of dip our toes into a lot of things where crossovers are kind of culminations of stories, mm-hmm. but we are just kind of sampling them. I mean, it's the perfect way for me to learn just enough of comics knowledge. Just it's, it's almost enough. it's almost like this was my plan all along. <laughs> Why do you have gotta have good plans? I'm so sneaky. <laughs> it's like, man, why do we cover crossovers? I'm like, but also, I'm never going to read all of the stuff, but now I have, like, the right sampling of knowledge. It's not, like, fully incomplete. I think there are some, like, really important stories that are not crossovers. In fact, there's tons of them, right? Right. I, I mean, that's probably where a lot of the growth and character development and everything happens. And, right. like, events are just that, like, they're an event. Yep. The Goblin Queen was like wild to me as a kid because, um, my source of comic book knowledge, because the internet didn't really exist when I was little and it slash we didn't have it until it was like, we got like 56k mm-hmm. right before broadband came out. So mm. I don't know. That would have been like what 2001 or something. Okay. But anyway, before that, I would go to the library and get this big book called the Marvel Encyclopedia and I would just go through that because you, you couldn't. You couldn't read these comics. Right. Trades were still kind of like not big. Marvel Unlimited didn't exist. Like we were just very much relying upon like the, these like this like passed down knowledge. I cannot imagine. It's weird. And so I would read about the Goblin Queen and I would be like, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, I get this, but why is she demonic? <laughs> Uh, which I'm sure this is, this is the frustrating part about covering the gooey center is I have all these questions and I'm not sure what questions will be answered in this, the, the latter half. Right. And I haven't read this in a couple of years, so I don't really know either. (laughs) (laughs) I just like her, how she, she develops the demonic. That's just the deal with nastier. Right. Which has been, like, brewing for, like, tens right. of issues or something. Right. So, like, that buildup I've missed with her because it, it seems like there are nearly, like, two distinct personas of Maddie. In a, in a way, I think Maddie is, is an interesting character, and I think a lot of people sympathize with her because she is the consequence of being kind of pushed aside for a story. I don't think she was originally supposed to be a clone of Jean Grey. Right. She was just supposed to be someone who looked a lot like Jean Grey. The The original purpose, uh, not purpose of Maddie, but the original plan was Cyclops, because Claremont wanted to do this, was he was going to go and retire and just be out of comics and maybe pop up occasionally. He wasn't going to be an X-Man anymore. And right. And we were going to get new X-Men. Like, I think if Claremont would have had his way, that comic would have been basically in real time. And mm. it just would have changed as time went on. Like, over 20 years, people would have come and gone and... It would have been a different thing. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. It's just like, you know, big two, they just can't do that. Right. Right. Like, yeah. You, you can't get rid of Cyclops at this point. People won't want to buy your comic. Cyclops, it's a statement that Cyclops you're making. Cyclops is popular, dear. Well, I 
don't know. I don't know. I made a tweet about, like, if Scott was worth all of this for Maddie, and there was a lot of... No, you're right. I just mean amongst the the population of people who know, like, and buy comics, you you, you just have to put Cyclops in an X-Men comic. I feel like I exist in a very niche world with popular opinions amongst it that do not necessarily. Well, I'm like, obviously, you made a tweet like Wolverine doesn't need to show up in comics anymore. I'm sure lots of people we know would agree with you. But also, Wolverine has his own comic and it sells really well. I don't read it. It's not bad now. This is actually one of the better runs, I think. Oh, okay. I still hear that it's not that great. Like, it's still kind of boring. I think it's better than any other Wolverine comics I've read, other than like maybe some really early yeah, ones. Yeah, but like, I've never wanted to read a solo Wolverine title. I kind of like Wolverine, and I don't know if I can really, like, articulate why. I don't know. I mean, you're Harry, he's Harry. What else is there? <laughs> I was about to say, he's just a little Harry guy. <laughs> love that dude. I love Wolverine in this because he doesn't do much, but he absolutely just gets wrecked. Like, like Storm is so mad at him. Like, oh, she, I love that moment so much. Like, she blasts out of the... After she somehow, like, is looking up stuff and finds out Jean is alive. I don't know how they didn't know X-Factor didn't exist, but I think that's why they're like, it's in Australia and this takes place in New York. I don't know. Maybe they don't... They just didn't know. Right? She, like, blasts out of the hideout and, like, somehow finds him and, like, shoots him up into the sky and is like, did you really know? And he's like, uh, no. Well, I mean, they were close by each other in the mutant massacre, right? Like... They were both down, like, in the Morlock tunnels and, every, like, mm-hmm. well, nearly encountered each other did not cross so paths. many times. How frustrating must that have been to read if you just wanted all, like, the team to get back together? Mm-hmm. Just watch them almost. Right? Oh, God. Like, I can read, you know, we can read, like, ten issues in an hour. Or, I mean, probably a couple hours with Claremont. That's a wordy man. Mm-hmm. But, like... Like, I'm just imagining this, like, month to month and going, oh, God, are they finally going to talk? No! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's hard. But this is, this is like a, this is like a fun era of X-Men. I like, I, I think, like, this is a really good, this is like a, a really good time creatively. Um, and it's just like, this is the stuff that people like to go back to instead of blazing a new trail, as I've, Mm. as I've kind of already complained about. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, like very much like this period of time they love they love the to grab these characters they love to to dip into these ideas you know iliana is like as like the queen of limbo madeline Pryor as the goblin queen mm-hmm. like and it's like like this like this claremont simonson meshing it seems like in some ways it's like like a singularity where like stories could not escape it because right. of like how how like just this touchstone sort of yeah like the narrative moment. payoff was like so good mm-hmm. like inferno is beloved absolutely beloved and it's it's like it's like a it's like a must read story I, I there was that that thing of where editor jordan d white was like let's say you had 10 comics to get someone to house of x powers of 10 what what 10 comics would you be everybody said inferno like you you just have to yeah and yet here i ha- am having read all of the current X step and never having read Inferno. Well, sure, sure. But (laughs) it's, it's, it's just so it's like people like to return to this stuff instead of just doing new stuff. But this was new stuff. Right. It just, it just frustrates me because I'm sure like reading it for, you know, when you read it for the first time or like, I'm sure reading it then it it was like, it was like absolutely like fresh as heck. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, nothing about, I mean, this didn't feel not as you said, fresh as heck i mean (laughs) no i'm just like it's it's just reading when people try to go back to this sort of stuff and like they try to play the hits even with like ostensibly new stories it just it frustrates the heck out of me see this is the benefit of of having huge gaping holes in your comics knowledge you can enjoy it all (laughs) even (laughs) if it's the greatest hits because you don't know about the old stuff right I don't, I've just been on this real, like, internal kick of, like, if you're going to do something with superheroes, just do something new. I just don't want to read the same stuff. Right. Cause it's, like, in general, it's, it's, it's been done. Like, just take it in an interesting direction. I, like, that seems so basic, but it's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't see you this way often. You're like real, real down on this. No, I love Inferno. I mm-hmm. love it. 
I love it so much. I just don't want people to do it again. <laughs> loud, loud and clear. Yeah. Message received. I'm sorry. I'm getting on a weird tangent. <laughs> but like the main characters in this are like basically Maddie, and then like everybody else seems kind of in her orbit in a way, mm-hmm. and that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. We've kind of broken this event into Ilyana's story and then Maddie's story. It is interesting, like. Chris Claremont loves to put his characters through the ringer, and he really seems to like to put certain certain women through the ringer. Mm-hmm. But he, I don't. He somehow his men are real dumb, and his women are complex. And it's this is my generalization <laughs> based on just my thoughts that popped out of my head right now as reading Inferno. I'm like, none of these men seem like super capable, except for maybe Beast, who we don't like. I think I think this is like the least capable Wolverine is in Claremont's run, but he generally is pretty decent at, at doing things. Well, I mean, just like intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> there has been a recent sort of surge toward these like runs of women characters where they are just like great at things and very like good hearted and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to have like a contrast with like, let's read about these like m- like these these women characters who are just like super messy. Mm-hmm. And I love stories about messy women. I love it. But also, none of these men seem to be able to experience a complex emotion. Yeah, especially in this story, Cyclops I, seems like like he, this is Scott's son, and like I don't feel like that. He's just kind of, like, sad and determined, I guess. But that's, like, all you get. This yeah. is a bit where he sheds a tear. Like, I feel like you get more of an emotional range from Gene about Nathan Christopher than you do from Scott. Poor Gene has this weird psychic rapport with a baby that's not hers. And I like the bit where she's like, why am I? Why is this even happening? Like, this, mm-hmm. is, not, this is not my kid. Right. So... I don't know. This is just like a realization I'm having as we're talking. And I haven't read like enough Claremont to make any sort of generalization about Claremont's writing. It just seems like in this, this is not the men's story at no, all. They, they get plenty. Don't worry. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not complaining. Sure. I'm just like, normally the complaint is like the women are kind of flat and, but the, the women are front and center here and the men are all kind of different flavors of vanilla. Yeah, it's it's interesting how even like the villains seem like so like swept aside. Mm-hmm. Like Sinister is normally such a scenery chewer, but even he is like kind of playing second fiddle to Maddie. Mm-hmm. Although, gosh, there's this bit where he he's like, "You should call me father," and I'm like, "Because it's Sinister, right?" Right. Someone once I can't remember if this, this I think this was in a fan comic, but. So the it was he was like introducing your, himself and it was, he said like sinister if you're nasty. He eventually has some some little bad guys called the nasty boys. <laughs> it's just so, so good. I don't. Sinister is more scenery chewy now than he used to be, mm-hmm. and that's that's pretty clear. He also has these weirdly undefined powers where you're like, sure, I don't know what he's doing. Whatever the plot calls for. Whatever the plot calls for. And like nastier seems even more ineffectual here, or this ineffective really, yeah. Than in the New Mutant stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he's like he seems like one of those like um, you know the two like weird cut ups in Reader Repulsa's Palace. Yes. Like Babu and somebody. I do, do not ask I, me their I names. I read a lot of Power Rangers comics. I should remember. It was two blue guys. He kind of seems like those guys. Like, he's just kind of like, it's like, I've made a deal with you. And she's like, <laughs> whatever, go away. <laughs> it's he, interesting like how little the, this story intersects with the new mutant stuff. There's the bit where Colossus just leaves the story. Yeah. And that's kind of the big one. And then Nastier kind of... There's, like, that Nastier. There's the pentagram in the sky. Mm-hmm. Where X-Factor comes and is like, there's a weird pentagram in the sky. We are not going to investigate further. <laughs> so, no, it kind of doesn't, which is why we kind of separated this out. Mm-hmm. Do you think Nastier looks scary before he's techno-organic? I just think he kind of looks like a Lego creature, after, or like a Muppet, after he becomes techno-organic. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I can see that. There was 
a lot of like background violence to unimportant characters throughout this event. Well, you know, Manhattan is demonic. Like that poor right. guy gets turned into a stamp. But like the family getting crushed in the elevator and yeah, just the blood sad. leaking out. Like yeah, that was really that was a lot. That was a lot. I I don't know if that was necessary. It, I didn't want it. It was definitely wanted to tell you about the stakes, huh? I I don't like death used as like that just like the window dressing. That's that's a kind of a Claremont thing. He loves to tell you people's names and mm-hmm. like the security guard's name was Daryl. It was a long <laughs> shift and he just wanted to go home. Oh no, we found out his name. He's doomed. He's doomed. He's doomed. He's doomed. It's like that. <laughs> then inevitably like Nimrod like rips it in half or something, you know. You know, I'm gonna figure this out now. Like I'm like, oh, here's a little 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 beat with some characters that I don't know. What's going on with them? Oh, they're just gonna die. All right. Claremont always does it at the beginning of an issue to set something up. Somebody somebody's ready to die. Oh, <sighs> Yeah. Uh, I liked that the Ghostbusters uh, apparently became trapped in the wall. Yeah. That was, that was dark. That was a cool scene because we get that shifting of Madeline's clothing. Yes. Which, oh my gosh, my, my realization here is I was going back through the issues. I was like, her dress in this panel is different than it was in that first one. Like, that's a weird mistake for an artist to make. Like, this one has long sleeves and that one doesn't have any sleeves. And I just kept looking, and I'm like, her dress is not the same in any two panels. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Uh, and luckily, friend of the show who we're going to have on next episode, Nola Fow, I talked to her, and I was like, what's going on here? And they were like, Christy, the Empire State Building's growing. Things are very wild. And Maddie's at the center of it all. And I'm like, oh, yes, this makes sense. What I love is that Alex is on this date with her, and he's just so oblivious to everything. He doesn't realize. He's just so dumb. His clothes don't change at all. No, just just hers. just hers. And they're like, she's like leaning over, looking through the telescopes at the top of the Empire State Building, and in the Goblin Queen outfit, and he's staring at her backside and says nothing. Yep. You think you'd notice because that has a loincloth as <laughs> a bottom. She's wearing basically like a g-string. I think it's got more in the back. But a little not more. Not much. No, it's very not scant. Not much. There's been a lot of criticism of this outfit. Oh, just like, for being very sexualized? Yeah. You I don't know, know. Evil equals sexy, right? That's, right, but like, should it? I mean, I think that's an issue that's bigger than just these issues. Right. I think that's societally. You know. Is the problem that evil is sexy or is the problem that good is never seemingly sexy? <laughs> That it's just tied to one or the other. Well, maybe it's not that evil is sexy. It's that sexy is evil. Oh, I think you got it. I think you yeah. nailed it. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. So just really getting in, like, I don't know. Not that, not that, like, female superheroes aren't sexy and aren't sexualized. Yeah, they sure are. No but denying. when it, and when it's this overt, sexy is evil. Right. Well, like, there's even like, there's like bits where she is juxtaposed with Jean and it's like, it's very apparent, mm-hmm. right? But also sexy's kind of powerful. Oh? I don't know. There's a power in sexy. There is a power in sexy. Uh, and there's a power in certain kinds of sexy. Yes. There, when it is like by choice. <laughs> sexy, sexy by choice. <laughs> powerful. Powerful. Sexy by choice. And you sent for. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Goblin Queen. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't think that would get you so much. What do we do after that? We just need we just go to accolades? No, 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 no. We can't go into accolades yet, because we need to talk about Jean Grey's poor parents who happen to visit the grave of their daughter, mm-hmm. who they clearly don't don't realize is alive. Way to go, Jean. Yeah, couldn't just call up mommy and daddy. Right? Like. And then they're like, who's this woman who looks like our daughter? Oh, no, she turned us into demons. Oh, people being turned into demons. Let's cross over. Does it all get fixed at the end? Or- I don't know. I-, I think it does with Jean's parents. I just don't mm-hmm. know if it does for anybody else. Like, remember that security guard where they like. Right. It's It's like, I'm going to peel off your skin and find the evil within. And now you are my demon. And I'm like, that's a visual I do not want. <laughs> that's weird. That's real weird. 
I do not love that. No, it's real creepy. It's effective, though. Like, it's unsettling. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, not everything has to be nice, Christy. Like, <sighs> yes, you're creeped out by the family crushed in the elevator, and it feels like gratuitous violence to you, but also... You know, we also didn't talk about the fight with the Marauders, which takes up like a full issue. Yeah, a lot going on with the Marauders. They just absolutely like whip their butts, don't they? Like just just wreck them. Which is very different than when they encountered the Marauders in Mutant Massacre. Right. Well, so they get the jump on them. Mm -hmm. They are also affected by the demonic nature of the city. They have this like bloodlust. Yes. And I think that's interesting that as they go on, like, you know, they start to get, like, these sneering faces and stuff. Mm-hmm. Man, they just, they absolutely whip the Marauders. It is, it was, it's, like, satisfying, and then it makes you feel bad about thinking that it's satisfying because they're, like, consumed by, like, the rage of it all. I don't know. It just felt like some really good revenge to me. I, I didn't have any issues with it. You say bloodlust, and I'm like, I wasn't. Was it? Yeah, like, they killed a lot of people, and they need to... It's funny, because now they're, like, ostensibly, like, quote-unquote good guys. Like, they're, you know, they're on Krakoa. Right. It's just interesting. I mean, you can sympathize with them to an extent, because at this point, like, they're just really under Sinister's control. Well, and, like... Sinister's also on Krakoa and a good guy, so... <laughs> good but, guy. But is it this Sinister? <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of Sinisters. I don't know. He's got a cape. He's got a cape. Um... Yeah, this is, like, the point where he, like, they will die and he'll just, like, clone them again. This is kind of like Krakoa before Krakoa. Right. Um, and they, they so address that really early on in this new Hellions, like, how, like, the, the consequences of that. Mm-hmm. So, it's, you know, I'm glad it wasn't left alone. Because they are, like, completely under Sinister's control. And for a while, some of them weren't mutants, and then they were just all retconned to be mutants. I think, what's her name when the green and the white stripes? Vertigo? Vertigo. I think she wasn't a mutant for a bit. Mm. She is like the most superhero-y costume out of all of them, I think. <laughs> I loved how it was drawn in um, Mutant Massacre, which is not this. Not this. But <laughs> how do you feel about the art in this? We didn't talk about it very much. So this is Mark Silvestri. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the hallmarks of Mark Silvestri is everybody's sexy. And like, like that was something that uh, when Jay and Miles uh, from Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men started covering this, they're like, you know, we could complain about like the... Or, or critique like the sexualization of female characters, but literally this happens to everybody. That's just the way Mark Silvestri draws everybody. Like, like mm-hmm. men are sexualized, women are sexualized to a pretty equal extent. I mean, the he doesn't is- he doesn't draw anybody like I don't know like looking like they they look like humans. Mm-hmm. They're not like weirdly exaggerated. They're just mm-hmm. like you know they're all just very yeah. attractive. I mean, I. I followed the story well. I didn't have like any major problems with the art. Um, Mark Sylvester drew the uncanny issues, I should Mm -hmm. say. And coloring at this time is just always kind of, I mean, it's never, never going to be like modern coloring. And it's, that, I mean, that's fine. That's just, that is what it is. I think what's worse is when they try to bring modern coloring and recolor these. Yeah. um, That would be, that would be worse. They did it with Thor, Mm -hmm. like Simonson's Thor. Right. It is, it's nasty. I hate. Uh, speaking of Simonson, he draws the X Factor issue, so he's working with his wife Louise. So mm-hmm. Louise would just write and then just go, over, you know, like walk across the room and hand him the papers or whatever. So Louise was the one that walked around across the room. She wasn't like, "Hey, come get it." <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> In your mind, that's how it happened. I, th- I don't know. Mm-hmm. It takes longer to draw a page than it does to script a page. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I just, how fun would it be to like sit over dinner and talk about like how the comic's going to go? Maybe that's not fun though. Maybe that's like too much mixing of. Right. They're just, they're very cute. Like they're like an, they're like an extra cute couple in comics. I'm just imagining being at home and working with you all day and like the same sorts of things. Would we, would we hate each other or would, would it be Simonson magic? That's, that's Simonson magic. And they are definitely doing some Simonson magic. I thought these issues flowed wonderfully Mm -hmm. like there's a there's a few panels where beast is getting trish who is like clinging to the side of a bridge she throws the thing it like but it's like it's framed like identically yeah she throws it that issue with the subway was very good and he like the bit with beast where he's like like Mm -hmm. several several like after image pictures and grabbing her i thought that sequence absolutely ripped and i was like simonson you mad lad like this is Uh absolutely phenomenal Uh and there's that um, 
kind of like after exchange because there's the whole like Trish is like I don't know what's going on with him and they have like their inner thoughts about how they're approaching this interaction and just seeing the disconnect and the breakdown in their communication just in those thought bubbles between them she's like you know he's just being all macho and um like showing off and stuff and he's like all concerned about things and just those yeah it was it was laid out very nicely loved it i love i i, I think when the simonsons work together it is magnifique love mm-hmm. it they're gonna be on an x-men legends issue coming up soon and i think it'll be fun um, nom, 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 nom. all right let's get into accolades accolades All right, Christy, dear, what's your best line? My best line comes from Maddie. And it's the line, I've learned I wasn't made for happiness. Oh, Maddie. It's it's a real, like, heartbreaking line. I just want Maddie to have a nice time at some point. It seems like she just doesn't Right? Right? What about your best line? Mine is silly. It comes from Malice, who says... Who's talking to Alex, who can't, like, hurt her because Malice is possessing Polaris. Poor Polaris gets possessed all the time. Like, poor Polaris gets possessed all the time, and it's just, it's rough times. Mm-hmm. But she says, poor Alex Uzums, for all the Malice in our soul, you still see the face of the woman you love. Isn't that sweet? No. I thought that Alex Uzums was just, I'm like, what is that mean? <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine if like an evil entity was possessing you and like talking through you. That would be really rough for me. That would be very hard. Yeah, Please Alex. don't hurt my body, even if it's possessed. <laughs> I will not hurt your body, even if it's possessed. <laughs> and poor Alex couldn't either. Mm-hmm. But then you'd fight dirty and you'd beat the heck out of me. Oh, you'd have to hurt me a little. I don't think I could do it. I don't think you could either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so greatest hero for me was so tough because this these were such team books a lot of people in this so you share first who did you choose for your greatest i picked jean gray because she didn't ask for any of this we have a daily double hit it matthew wilson because uh poor jean is like this isn't this isn't even my kid and i have to like help you find him all the time like right i just came out of a pod in the ocean a little bit ago like can we can we not right and like bad for jean i mean beginning of x factor scott didn't even like tell her that he was married and had a kid and just gene is like the kid on all the school projects who like puts way too much work into it because she knows that nobody else is gonna do it yeah, yeah. way to go gene gray you're the greatest <laughs> hero <laughs> what about the coolest moment there's a bit in one of the issues where she is just completely sick of sinister stuff and she like kind of like ignites and it like the whole uh, page goes like white, and I can't remember what she says. Uh, I can because we have another daily devil. And I have that here on my page. So, uh, she says, I won't be condemned by you. And she breaks out of the, like, the shackles that she had him in. She said, and then she says, It appears your devices have limits, and I don't. Yeah, it rules. Coolest moment. <laughs> Uh, what about the Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy? Uh, Mr. Sinister with his weird super baby project thing. Oh, yeah. Just that. Just the project, very silly. And the fact that he's like, you know, I couldn't get Gene to come to my orphanage, and so I made a Gene clone to have a baby. If you can make a clone, you can probably figure that out without it having to make a clone to go make a baby with Cyclops. I think I think he could have figured that out. <laughs> I feel bad for Maddie. She at one point says, like, I was made to be a brood mare. I'm like, Ugh, yeah, rough. Yeah. Uh, and my Crusher Creel Award goes for Silly Villainy does also go to Mr. Sinister, but just specifically for the you may call me dot 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 father. <laughs> you may call me Gary. <laughs> what if his name was Gary Sinister? I would love that. <laughs> So uh, my Key of C award, uh, this is the award which is the one that is most like a musical or should should be a moment that could be could be a musical number. Mm-hmm. Or would be enhanced by a musical number. Uh, Maddie's origin story being told, I think, would be a really good musical number. Oh, 
Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So my key of C, I give purely for the fact that I think the aesthetic of it would be a ton of fun. I wanted a roller skating number. Oh, the bit with Rogue where she is very clearly dressed like Dazzler just to make Dazzler mad. <laughs> right? Wild. Right. And she had long shot her roller skating, but I feel like it almost could have been like a roller skate off between her and Dazzler. What if like, we had like a Starlight like... Express moment? <laughs> Instead of like, I mean, maybe you can still have like the shove through the wall into Betsy, but it's like almost like the sort of anything you can do, I can do better sort of feel, but more subtle about it. Just kind of showing off with their roller skating and doing some singing and long shots, just having a great time and totally oblivious of like this power struggle between the two ladies for his attention i just think that would be so fun and we could have a a chorus of roller skating ladies they would all be dressed in the gold yeah that's exactly what i visualized (laughs) i don't think that's where you went (laughs) all right so how about the goodest hit award for the goodest hit uh, my goodest hit award goes to when a colossus uh, punches Blockbuster. Uh, he he shows up and he sees Blockbuster and he's like, "You are a marauder." And he says, "Uh huh." How are you called, please, Blockbuster? And he says, "I am Colossus." And he punches him like through several walls. <laughs> Colossus like really cuts loose in these issues. Like he beats the heck out of like everything. I was like, that's a really good hit. And Colossus has every right to be super ticked at the Marauders. Yeah. They kinda they beat him up pretty bad last time. And and they they did bad stuff to Kitty? That's true. Yeah, they definitely did. Uh I, I think he and Kitty are on the outs at this point, but Yeah, I mean, well, Kitty she's, thinks not, she's, dead. she's not Kitty thinks he's dead. <laughs> this is Excalibur times, like early Excalibur right, right. times. We're not covering the Excalibur issues. They're pretty ancillary. I can't imagine how they would fit into this. Um, Megan becomes a goblin princess and she gets Bride of Frankenstein hair. Oh, that's where. Okay. Okay. Uh, what was my, you? My goodest hit? Your goodest hit. Trish uh, Tilby blowing up the train. <gasps> that was very good. I, that, that sequence of three panels, like, I want the original art of it. I think that's beautiful. It just, it, it rips, it rips. It's so good. <laughs> All right, for our last accolade, the Go Down with the Ship Award. All right, so I, I've i got to jump on the Maddie Alex ship train. We have a triple daily double. Triple daily double! Because they do have some really, like, sweet bonding moments and, like, some shared emotional intimacy in a way that I really, like, appreciate and like, and I thought it was, I thought it was cute. And I'm like... Why can't Maddie, like, not be Goblin Queen and, and just, you know, recover from a bad relationship like we all do with a really lovely rebound? I, this is a good ship. And it even, it keeps coming up, like, the bit where they're like, we're not going to resurrect Maddie because she's a clone. And Alex is like, she's her own person. And they're mm-hmm. just like, double middles. We don't care. <sighs> Alex is like such a fool, like such a fool for her, though. Like... And that just that just continues. Such a fool for you. Yeah. No, that linger is about is about Alex and Maddie. 100%. <laughs> you got me wrapped around your, your finger. finger. Yep. 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 <laughs> Thank you, readers, for sticking with us through all of this. That does wrap up our accolades. Yep, and that's going to wrap up our episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to finish up strong next time. The last four issues of this crossover, X Factor and mm-hmm. Uncanny. Going to have uh, guest Nola Fow, the uh, editor-in-chief of Women Write About Comics and our very good friend. I am very excited for them to be on. Yes. If you need to get in touch with us uh, before that, or after that, for that matter, uh, you can find us at Chris's Pod on Twitter and Facebook. You can also, if you have a longer form message, email us at chrisisoninfiniteearths at gmail.com. Please check out our Ko-fi and Patreon pages if you would like to support us monetarily. Those are both in the show notes. 
the Kofi uh, page is good for those one-time donations, and Patreon's good for those recurring donations and those good, good rewards, including getting to pick a crossover like this one, Inferno. Thank you, Zachary Jenkins, for uh, this this pick. Yes. Last episode, we said at the end, oh, we need to make sure we thank him at the beginning of the episode next time, and we forgot again! Got there. Third time's a charm. How about that? We're going to forget again. <laughs> Um, if you want to, if you would like to rate or review us, you know, don't support us, mon- if you don't want to support us monetarily, but you just still wanted to get the word out about the show, you can give us those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and all those other pod things. Yeah, we will read out five-star reviews here on the show, so you can you can put something fun in there. Little, little message you, you, want, you want to hear in our voices. We will read out nearly any. Yes. Yes. This is an all-ages show. This is, a, this is an all-ages show. <laughs> Well, thank you, readers, and until next time. Slay your enemies, and all you desire shall be yours.